So this, this series that we're beginning, Say What?, uh, the goal is to take a couple of scriptures that uh, sometimes we use out of context. Uh, sometimes we'll take a piece of scripture and we'll use it so that we can make the point that we're trying to make, or we're trying to make everybody think the way that we ought to think or want them to think, and we're going to throw the Bible in the mix of that. Now, I know none of y'all ever do that. Uh, but I know there are some times that I know I've fallen to pray for that. We really have to guard that. We have to safeguard that we don't use Scripture as a way uh, out of context and use the Word of God as a way to try to influence or coerce people uh, into thinking something that, that isn't true. So that's what the say what is, is we're going to deal with some of these passages. There's a lot of them in the Bible. We're only going to deal with a handful of them. And today we're going to focus on John chapter 1, excuse me, John chapter 14, uh, verses 13 and 14, and, and, and this is one of those say what passages, so, so listen uh, what it has to say here. Uh, Jesus is speaking, and I will do whatever you ask for in my name, so that the Father's glory will be shown through the Son, and if you ask me for anything in my name, I'm going to do it. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard that verse before. Uh, maybe that's one of your verses you live by, but this is one of those verses that makes us go like, say what? So is Jesus really saying that whatever I ask for and I do it in God's name, if I ask it in God's name, that he's going to do it? And uh, we have to be real careful uh, when, we, when we take ownership of that, and, and hopefully in today's message, uh, we're going to come to some understanding with that. So, so here's kind of where some of us are with that text. Whatever you ask for in my name, in the name of Jesus, I'm going to give it to you. Now, some of us see that and say, if I pray for the new job in the name of Jesus, then I'm guaranteed to get the job. If I pray in the name of Jesus that I'm going to have fortune, then I'm going to have fortune. If I pray in the name of Jesus, I'm going to have um, uh, uh, some constancy in my family relationships, then God has to do that because that's what the Scripture says. But the question is, is that really what it means? Now, I used to really believe that until uh, many, many years ago before I was married, um, I, had a, a, I was attending a church in Orlando, a little church in Orlando, and um, it was my parents' church, and there was a lady there who, who had cancer, and it was curable cancer. Now, um, some might say, well, Bob, cancer's never curable, but this was the kind where the doctor said, if you will just take this treatment, it's not going to kill you, you're going to survive, you're going to be fine, you're going to be everything else. Well, she bet her life on that passage, John 14, 13, 14, if I just pray in the name of Jesus that I'd be healed and that's all I do, then God has to answer that. I'm going to be healed. So she refused all treatments. Curable cancer. She died. And, and she had faith in that text. She had desire in that text. She knew that, that God's word is true, and she prayed that text. But for some reason, her prayer, or, or she did not live, curable cancer, didn't have to die, but she refused treatment, and she did. Now, the question becomes, did she misunderstand what the Scripture says, or is what Jesus said not true? And that's kind of the controversy, the rub, that we want to try to get into in these say what passages as we deal with some of these. So let me, let me give you a couple of simple truths on how to understand Scripture. The one thing you don't want to do is what I call a wing it and say it. Uh, you read a piece of Scripture and you just come up with your own thought of, wow, this is what it means, and then you stand on that promise and you tell everybody that. So God created all things. Would you agree with me on that? 
God is the creator of all things. If we look in the Genesis story, if we look at both sites of creation, we see that God created things in a systematic way. In fact, the Bible describes it in seasons or days, uh, whatever, however we want to interpret that. But, but we know that certain things came on the first day, second day, third day, all the way. God rests on the seventh. So the way that we're supposed to look at Scripture, the way that we're supposed to understand Scripture is in a systematic way because our God is not a God of chaos. Um, he is a God of systematic ways of looking at things and of purpose is probably a better way of saying that. So here's a couple of ways um, on some simple thoughts on how to find truth in Scripture. The first is to understand the context. Understand the context. What does that mean? That means that, that we can't just read a piece of Scripture or a line of Scripture and then say, I know what that means. To understand something in context means that we have to know what's happening in the story, what is being said overall? What is the theme? Who's the writer? What's going on at the time this is written? What's being said before and after this piece of Scripture? What is God saying through the author? What is really going on and what is the message God is conveying to us today? That is understanding the context of Scripture. And that's why it's so important for us to do that. We have to understand the context in order to get to that next step. And that's why we don't just look at Scripture and give our own answers. We can't just look at one line and say, this is what it means, and cherry pick and, and build everything upon that. Uh, because we, we've seen that happen in our nation, haven't we? We've seen some horrible things happen in our nation where people have cherry picked Scripture and they've used the Word of God to harm other people. Let me just give you one quick example, slavery. There are people who, who are Christians who said, I believe in God, but we believe that the Bible says that white people reign and people of color don't. That's what they said the Scripture said. Scripture doesn't say that. In fact, Scripture says there is no difference in any of us, that all of us are created in the image of God, doesn't it? So, so we can use Scripture sometimes to try to push a point or to convey something that can get us in trouble in ways that which isn't really true. So we have to understand the context, what's going on in that. Uh, here's another one. We have to understand Scripture with Scripture. We, uh, we can't just uh, read a piece of Scripture and go back and look at some of our old study notes where we've written down some thoughts and say, you know, back uh, 20 years ago when I read that, uh, I thought that the world was getting ready to end because, you know, that's what this meant and so on, so that's what it still means today. We have to look within the Scripture because God's message is cohesive in the Scriptures, is it not? That what God says is a continuous message, that it's not just built upon one thing, but it's a continuous message, a love story between God and his creation. And what we know is when we read Scripture, the theme of what we see is if we see a theme happening, we know there are other places in the Bible, whether it's in the book of Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation, somewhere in the Bible there's a connectedness. There's Scripture with Scripture that we can see the themes that are coming. And with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we can understand what's happening in the light of the Bible itself. Then we have to apply what we learn. We can't just say, well, I, I thought about it. We have to act on it. We have to do something about what we've now learned. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, he said that the mind was a very um, problematic thing, but yet it was such a beautiful thing because God gave us a mind to think, and, and therefore we need to be learned in that. We should not be ignorant, as Paul says, but that we should know what the Scripture says, and therefore we should apply with our mind, but also through the transformation of what? Our heart, that we should come into understanding what the scripture has to say. So we need to understand the context, what's going on, when and where and why. We need to use other scriptures, what are the themes in the Bible, and we need to apply what we learn. So using that, let me ask you a question. Who wrote the Gospel of John? 
It's not a trick question, folks. John did, okay? So John is the writer of the Gospel of John. What's the theme of the Gospel of John? It's not prayer. Uh, What we find out is the theme of the Gospel of John is John is revealing that Jesus is the Son of God. That is his whole theological premise that he's building upon. How do we know that? He begins in his prologue, chapter one. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. And he begins to say that the word became a full human being and full of grace and truth and lived amongst us. Another translation, the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. He is letting us know that what we see on earth is God in flesh and yet also deity. So that is the theme of the Gospel of John, of the things that we see. But so when we just cherry pick a piece of scripture, like John 14, 13, 14, talking about prayer, we have lost context of what's happening in the entire chapter 14. What does chapter 14 say? Here's the theme. The theme is, I'm about ready to go, I'm going to leave you. You're going to miss me, but don't be afraid because where I'm going is a beautiful place. In fact, the, the heavenly father has created, he's like built a mansion and it has all these rooms in it and there's a room for you. And where I am, you're going to be. You're never going to be alone. We're never gonna be separated. And though you are teary-eyed right now, rejoice in the fact that we will soon be back together. And here's something great, even greater. I love you so much that the Holy Spirit is gonna come upon you and be that perpetual presence of God in your life until we meet again at that particular time. Why? Because I am the way. I am the truth and the life that anyone who comes to the Father comes through me. And we begin to see John sharing with us that Jesus is the Son of God. That's the theme of chapter 14. But also, oftentimes we'll look at little pieces of scripture and we'll say, we'll negate all that. We'll say, no, no, it's only about prayer. It's about praying what I want. It's about what Jesus is doing in preparation and preparing a way for us to come and to rejoin with him again. So having that understanding that Jesus is preparing a place or preparation for us, when we reread verse 13 and 14, we see a different perspective. And what we, what we do then is we remove ourselves out of the story. We don't make it about us. We don't make it about God saying, whatever you want, I'm gonna give you. What we do is we see that the scripture's about God. And we understand that the Holy Scriptures, the foundation upon which they are written is about God's story. Yes, about how we relate to God and with one another. But the scriptures are about to illuminate God and that God is always the main character, not us. And we need to make sure that we're not inserting ourselves as the focus point in the scriptures. So let's go back to verses 13 and 14. Here it is. I will do what? Whatever you ask for in my name. Why? Why is he gonna do this? So that. Whenever you see a so that in scripture, Paul is notorious for that. Jesus' words, so that. Whenever you see us so that, you better listen what's coming next because there's something important that's being said. Why is he gonna give us what we ask for in his name so that the Father's glory will be shown through the Son? Is it to bring me glory? No, it's to bring glory to the Father through the Son. And if you ask me for anything in my name, I'll do it. So when we ask for things in the name of Jesus, it better be bringing God the Father glory because that is the premise of what John 14 is saying to us. God answers our prayers not so that we'll have more money to build the kitchen we've always wanted to have in our homes. That's not why we pray, folks. We pray 
so that we can enter into a deeper relationship with our creator, with the one who loves us, but more importantly, so that we can honor him and that the outcome of that prayer, that God the Father can be glorified in heaven. And when we read ourselves into the scripture as the main subject and we remove God as the key component, we lose sight of the greater truth. We make it about us. And we take God out of the equation. So, But when we place God at the center of the scripture, we recognize there's a different perspective on answered prayer. Now, why are we dealing with this today? As a pastor, I think one of the number one reasons why people are leaving the church, capital C, today is because of John chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. They're wonderful people, good people, and they're praying prayers, and they're asking in the name of Jesus for something to be done because they're believing that what the Scripture says, if I prayed in the name of Jesus, then God is bound contractually, covenantally, to give me to do exactly what I've asked him to do. And when it doesn't happen, when the prayer's not answered, when it doesn't come the way that we've asked and all that, people are leaving the church. They're not leaving because they have differences with their pastors. They're not leaving because there are doctrinal differences. They're not leaving because of relational issues. They're leaving because they think God is impotent. They think that God can't do anything, that God doesn't love them, doesn't want to listen to them, isn't answering their prayer because he's punishing them or he's unable. They're getting it wrong. And that's why, because they're putting themselves in the prayer and they're making it about, God, you need to do what I'm asking you to do. And the word says that you have to and when you don't, then I believe that you're nothing. And that's what's causing people to leave the Christian church today, is they've lost their faith in what God can do. Now, it's important for us to understand this. It's important for us to really connect with this because uh, a lot of us in this room are either there right now, we're on the threshold, we've been there, and we need to make sure that we understand this because God is greater than anything we could ever wish for. And we need to make sure that we understand and get the priorities, the priorities correct that way. So here, here's another one here. Um, uh, the relationships, a couple, things that matter, a couple things that matter to God. A couple things that matter to God. First thing is relationships. Relationships matter to God. We are a relational people. We're a covenantal people. We are a body of Christ which means that we are to find ways to get along with each other, that we are to act in a way that is civil to one another, to love one another, to be able to deal with that. And our relationships matter to God, and therefore when we pray, we need to keep that in mind, that our relationships with each other matter. And that makes a big difference in the eyes of God. Here, here's what we find here. Uh, Jesus said, for this reason I tell you, when you pray and you ask for something, believe that you've received it, and you'll be given whatever you ask for. And when you stand and pray, Forgive anything that you may have against anyone. Okay, I'm buying into this. Now all of a sudden he throws this, I have to forgive somebody that I got a, an ax to grind against before maybe my prayer has any favor? Come on. Does he know what I'm dealing with? He doesn't understand that, that I'm upset at that person or this person or that situation. What do you mean he's, that I have to forgive, that I have to work through that? What do you mean I have to reconcile that, at least in my own spirit, to where it doesn't consume me in the midst of that? Here it comes, so that your heavenly Father in heaven will forgive the wrongs that you've done. So when I'm consumed by the things that anger me, when I'm consumed by the things that don't go my way, because relationships matter to God, what that says is that I can't hold a double standard because I'm a fallen individual too, right? Right? 
And so God, God is in the mix of that. What does it mean? It means that, that uh, when you're praying and you're ticked off at somebody, it means that you have to work through that. It doesn't mean that you put yourself in physical harm if it's an abusive situation, but it means you've got to find a way to redirect whatever it is that's in your heart, and you've got to fi- find a way to just turn it over to God and truly believe that and quit trying to pull it back and control it and deal with that. I mean, as parents, we deal with that, right? How many of you have had uh, children or grandchildren in the room? How many of you have had siblings? Yeah, just about everybody. You know the story. He hit me. Well, she kicked me. He's not allowed in my room. Can I have a friend over tonight? I mean, you know how it goes. The answer is no. If you can't get along with your brothers and sisters, then then we've got to look at, you know, what's going on with us in the midst of that. Because relationships matter to God, we have to work through that. We've got to find a way to deal with that. So relationships are important. Here's the second thing when we pray that's important to God. Your motives matter to God when you pray. Your motives. Why are you praying? What are you praying? What's the motivation behind the prayer that you're giving? James, the brother of Jesus, said, when you ask, you do not receive it because your motives are bad. You ask for things for use for your own pleasures. Your own pleasures. If we were to be honest, if we were to keep track of our prayers, how often are we praying for motives that will benefit us for our pleasures? How often are we saying things and lifting prayers up to God so that we benefit from something personally? It may not be what God wants, but boy, it sure feels good for us. The Pharisees were notorious for that. Who were the Pharisees? The Pharisees were some pretty, pretty bad dudes. They were these religious people, these ultra-religious people, and they were the ones that could quote scripture to you. They were the ones that could you know, uh, put you into a web of, of arguments and things because they had a legal background about them. And they were the ones who, who could tell you that they knew more about God than you did and that their life was much more favorable than yours was and that you were just a piece of doodah and, and, and uh, you know, they were so much better. In fact, they would stand on the street corners and they would pray a prayer like this. They would say, oh God, thank you for not making me be like those other people. I'm righteous. I'm such a great person. You created in me a, a wonderful person, Lord. Thank you that I'm not like the common person, like the guy that lives next door to me. Tom, I didn't mean that about you. But, but, but what we're saying, though, is, is that's, that's kind of what the prayer is. And God looks at that, and what does God say? God says, your motives are wrong when you pray that way. Your motives are wrong. So, so we are challenged to look at why we are praying, what we are praying, and, and for the reasons behind that. And are our motives pure? Are, do our motives make sense? If we are praying with the wrong motive, what did Jesus call the Pharisees? He called them hypocrites. Why did he call them hypocrites? Because they were notorious that they would look at somebody and they would say, God, pray for, pray for that person. Maybe some of you in the room have said, Lord, pray for my husband. Change him. Make him a better man. Lord, pray for my wife. Make her a better person. Lord, please help my neighbor's kids. Lord, they make bad decisions. Lord, that guy I work with, his life is real screwed up. Can you please just answer his prayer? Because I'm so much better than him. I'm so much better than her. And that's where God says your motives aren't right. And we've got to be aware of that, and we've got to stop that. And we've got to make sure what we're praying and why and how, and for all the right reasons, that it matters from that. Why? Because the proverb says that you may think everything that you do is right, but the Lord judges your motives. God is aware. It's not a threat, but God is aware. And we need to be aware of our motives. We need to know that our relationships matter to God. We need to know that um, you know, our motives matter to God. But, but here's another one. Our faith matters to God when we pray. 
You know, there's something about faith that moves the heart of God. James, again, writes this. He says, when you pray, you have to believe and not doubt at all. Whoever doubts is like a wave in the sea that's driven and blown by the wind. So imagine like a, a turbulent um, a sea, an uncalm sea, that that's what, if you don't have faith, your life can be like that. So faith moves the heart of God. Faith speaks to God. And I love it when Jesus said that when we pray, we should have faith like what? Children. Have you ever seen a child pray? You ever heard a child pray? The innocence of a child praying. You know, it's so pure, it's so wholesome. Our grandson came home from school one day and he was crying when his mother picked him up and she said, what's the matter, buddy? He said, I don't have any friends in school. Nobody in my class likes me. The only boy that, that, that I have anything in common, his name's Elijah and I get to see him for 30 minutes at recess every day, but he's not in my class. Nobody likes me in my class, mommy. And she said, well, maybe you should pray that God would bring you a friend in your class. Well, I don't know, Mommy. No, you really need to pray that. Okay, Mommy, I will. And that night he got on his knees and he prayed that prayer. God, I just want a friend in my class. So the next day when she picked him up from school, he's beaming ear to ear with a huge smile. Hey, buddy, you had a good day today. What made it good? Mommy, you'll never believe it. God brought me a new friend in my classroom today. Really? Do you remember Elijah, Mommy, the boy in the other class that I used to play with on the playground? He got moved into my classroom. God answers prayers and childlike faith. It's all it takes is childlike faith, but faith that is pure, faith that is directed, and faith that is true. So our faith matters to God. Two blind men, they come to Jesus and they ask him to heal him. Jesus doesn't say, okay, I'm gonna heal you. He says, do you believe that I can heal you? Not, do you want me to heal you? Do you believe that I can heal you. Yes, sir, they said. And Jesus touched their eyes and said, let it happen then, just as you believe. And what? Their eyesight was restored. Faith matters to God. Okay, so if, if our relationships are good, if our motives are pure, if we have faith when we pray, then God has to do exactly what we ask for, right? No, he doesn't. And this is where the waters get really muddy because this is where a lot of us will say, I'm at peace in my relationships, my motives are, are on God and I have all the faith in the world and yet what I'm praying for just isn't happening. And this is where we struggle and this is where we come. And when we're not careful, this is that kind of thinking, well, if my relationships are good, if my motives are pure, and if I'm nice to everybody, this leads to what I'm gonna call a false teaching called the prosperity gospel. And here's what the prosperity gospel teaches. It says that if I'm nice to everybody, if I'm good, and if I do all the things that are right, then God's gonna give me everything that I want, especially in riches and plunder and all those things. That's what the prosperity gospel says. But let me tell you, I know some people and love some people deeply who love God, who are at peace with their friendships and with their relationships, whose prayers and motives are, are right, but yet they're dying of cancer. So where's the prosperity gospel happen with that? I look at the life of Mother Teresa, who was a servant of God, who loved God, who gave her entire life and loved people, but yet she lived in poverty. Prosperity gospel just doesn't uh, equal here, folks. And we have to be really careful that we don't fall into that trap. That if I do all these things that God says he's just gonna open up the coin bank and everything's gonna be fine from that. So, so what I'm doing right now is making some of you a little angry at me. And I get that, I understand. And I can handle that but I'm doing it for a reason. 
because we need to understand something very important. If it's about us doing things to earn the favor of God, then we've got the gospel all wrong. We do not earn God's favor. We do not work to get the love of God. In fact, that's a privilege that's been given to us. It's something that we, that we can't earn. And, and, and let, me, let me continue to explain this, and I don't want you to write me off, and I don't want you to shut me out. I want you to hear what I have to say, because a lot of you were raised in the prosperity gospel, and you, were thought, and you thought this is the way that life is supposed to be. But here's why I'm pushing back on it. If I only have enough faith that God's gonna hang with me and he's gonna be my genie in the bottle and whatever I ask for him, he's gonna do that and he's gonna bless me and give me the abundance that I deserve and all of that, then basically what it is is God's in a little lamp and all I have to do is rub it. And God comes out and I become God's master and God says as the genie, what is it that you want, master? I'm your servant. That's not what the gospel message says. The gospel message says that we are God's servant, that God is our master. And that's why this final part is so true. God's will matters. God's will matters. What does that mean? That doesn't mean that, that God has pre-orchestrated everything in our life. That doesn't mean that we're just a bunch of puppets. But what it means is that, that, that the will of God matters. What is the will of God? That we love God with everything that there is about us, that we love each other as ourselves. It means that we become Jesus with skin on in the world, that God's will matters, that, that what happens in heaven, his will is that it would happen here on earth, and that whatever the heck it is we're doing here on earth, it better, his will is that it better be what's happening in heaven, that therefore there's a check and balance, that we are to be God's people here on earth. And the will of God is that our hearts are filled with joy and that we can strive for that. But nowhere is the will of God does it say that we'll ever be without pain. Nowhere does it say that the will of God is that we'll never have a circumstance that we have to deal with that's, that's bad. Christ Jesus dealt with that, didn't he? He was tortured, he was placed on a cross, he bled, and he died. The same John who wrote the words, pray, whatever you ask for in my name and it'll be given to you, also wrote these words in one of his letters found at the end of the Bible. Here's what it says. We have courage in God's presence because we're sure that he hears us. If we ask him for anything, that is according to his will. Is it God's will that I become the winner of the lotto? Is it God's will that I own Hawaii? Is it God's will that I have the biggest house in my neighborhood? I don't think so. But he hears us whenever we ask him. And since we know this is true, we know also that he gives us what we ask from him. So if we're going to the Father and asking in the name of Jesus, then we better be asking in accordance to God's will because if we aren't, then we are misusing the name of Jesus Christ. It's a privilege and yet it's a responsibility to use the name of Jesus when we pray. When we go before God and we use the name of Jesus, we have access to the creator of the universe because Jesus gave us permission to be there. Why? Because he went to the cross on our behalf and he died for our sins and he rose from the grave and the tomb was empty. Suddenly when we recognize that, that it's a privilege to pray in the name of Jesus, when we see that as a privilege, we see a totally different perspective, a different lens in which to look as to why we should pray. But here's the trouble we get in. Remember earlier when I told you that these messages speak to me just as they should speak to you? For over a year, I've been praying a specific prayer for something to happen, for something to change, for something to improve for the lights to go on in 
others to see. For over a year, I've been praying that prayer. And I've prayed, and I've prayed, and I've prayed, and I've prayed, and that prayer has not been answered. And here's the tricky part. If I'm only gonna have faith in God because he answers my prayers, then what kind of faith is that? Because there are times and things and situations that I am not gonna understand why God chooses not to answer the prayer the way I've asked. So therefore, my faith needs to not be built upon what God is gonna do for me. My faith needs to be built upon the fact that Jesus Christ has already done something for me. He's done the same thing for you. That our prayers are answered because the battle has been won. Christ has taken upon our sin. Christ has answered the greatest plea and prayer of all, that we are righteous in him before God and that we are one with God and one with each other once again. So if you're on the fence today, if you're kind of in that mode where you're going, I've been praying like pastor has, I've been praying and praying and praying and praying about something to change or something to happen or something to improve or for something to come or a blessing, whatever word you wanna use in that, and it hasn't happened, let me encourage you, don't lose your faith over that. God can answer and change everything. He can. And just because it's not happening the way that you thought it should, or even if you've prayed it in the name of Jesus and it hasn't, then maybe there's something about John 14, 13, 14 that is a greater understanding. Maybe what God is doing in your life or is getting ready to do in the life of another or a nation or a world is gonna be far greater to honor the Father than what your prayer might be asking right now. Pray big, folks. Pray for all that you can. But trust God. Be obedient. Have a Christ or a childlike faith. And know that all things matter to God.